Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Wise, and we're broadcasting to you live from the exhibit hall floor at Fabulous FabTech here in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Georgia World Conference Center. Some amazing things going on here at the floor. And, Lou, we have a uh, a guest here who helped uh, put this together. He's one of the sponsors of FabTech. Would you introduce him for our audience? I'd be happy to. Uh, Ed Udell of uh, Fabricators manufacturing association um who is again one of the sponsors of this show and was uh, gracious enough to have us here and doing many interviews over the last three days and getting some great information to our listeners uh welcome ed thank you good to be with you guys thank you uh ed uh, we've talked to a lot of people about a lot of different topics here uh, everything from manufacturing to the organizations themselves, publications, uh, transportation companies, and so on. Why don't you give us a little bit of an insight into FMA and FabTech, uh, just so our listeners uh, will get a better understanding of what's going on. Sure. Fabricators and Manufacturers Association. We're located in Rockford. Uh, we have over 2,300 members across the country, including Mexico and Canada. Uh, who are primarily folks who work in metal fabricating, metal forming. Uh, job shops are really our key constituency. And we've been around for going on 45 years. And 34 years ago, we partnered with then the Society of Manufacturing Engineers to form an event for our industry called FabTech. And 34 years later today, that, that partnership has expanded to include the American Welding Society, the Precision Metal Forming Association, and the Chemical Coders Association. So all of us come together to present one industry event specializing in our technology areas that are really all a part of a job shop and metal fabricating process. I did neglect to mention that you are the CEO and president of the FMA, so forgive me for that. All's forgiven. Thank you. Ed, uh, you and I had an occasion to speak uh, last week or so uh, talking about something new that's coming online, something referred to as the industrial Internet. Yes. And uh, I'm excited about it, and uh, I'm sure our listeners would like to hear a little bit about it. So it's it's a very uh, interesting way of I, – I had the opportunity two weeks ago – to moderate a panel at General Electric's Manufacturing Summit. And the focus of their event is the Industrial Internet, or Industrial 4.0, as some might call it. Um, and this is their, their betting and believing in that the key to manufacturing in the future is a connectivity between machines up and down the production line. So as you as a supplier, you would be connected through the Internet to your OEM, customer and that you'll be able to monitor or monitor your production process. So if something's slowing down on the OEM side, you can adjust production on your side. 
If there's a quality issue upstream, you can adjust that downstream. If there's something wrong downstream, you can adjust upstream. And using data and analytics to really to drive the manufacturing process to efficiencies that we've not been able to achieve at this point. Uh, so it's a very innovative process, a lot of investment um, by General Electric in the technology and the belief that this is the future of manufacturing. Uh, for me, for our marketplace, uh, you know, the benefit that General Electric has is they're a $150 billion corporation with thousands of employees. They can throw resources and uh, money and people and time into believing in this process. And uh, our customers, our members, they're 50 to 100 people, employees, shops. Um, the industrial Internet I don't think is on the radar screen yet. You know, we're, we're in the throes of really software is coming into our metal fabricating process, but it's more on the ERP side of things, and data is being used, but not this connectivity issue, and uh, we're trying to get that information out in front of our members and uh, constituency, and uh, today, additionally, this morning at Fabtech, Google was here talking about the Industrial 4.0, and uh, they talked about their tools and their approach to the industrial internet, so it's, it's out there, it's happening. The adoption rate, of course, is uh, really going to be key uh, with our marketplace and job shops because they're small lot production, high variation, small lot size production, uh, where General Electric, they're interested in people making high volume production, mm -hmm. and that's where the adoption is happening first, but it will be driven down in the supply chain and ultimately to our members. Will this have, uh, or do you see it having any negative impact on employment issues? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I, my answer is I don't know, which isn't a very good answer just because I'm not educated enough on it yet. And I'm trying to get up to speed as quickly mm -hmm. as I can. When I look at it cursory, uh, I don't think it will change it. Well, I don't think it see it as having an impact on mm -hmm. employment. Um, if it's, you're more productive, you essentially are are more valuable partners so you should gain more business right right okay. you know, the first question I had Ed when I heard this uh, industrial internet 4.0 was is this a separate in an internet a different internet did Google share any of that I you've given a pretty good explanation but yeah you know the, the term that uh, so I went to Google when I first heard about this industrial internet okay. to do a search on the topic I thought, well, it's the best place to start. I need to try to understand and get some uh, subtraction on it. Well, there was 840 million search results <laughs> for the topic. And guess who's number one? GE. So, you know, they're, they've done it well. They've coined the term, and they're, they come up first on the search. But that tells me there's a lot of interpretations as to what it means. It'll mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And nobody's really got their arms around it yet. What I, what I came to find out in talking to uh, a company here at Fabtech, SICK, is that in Germany, there's a rival standard that's happening in Europe that's along the same lines. They're following the two paths. So it'll be interesting to see how they converge or how they can, uh, German manufacturers and GE and U.S. manufacturers can sit together and try to bridge that gap and, and really integrate it into factory of the future, um, 
you know, advanced manufacturing. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. They just need to realize that uh, there were uh, uh, beta and VCR, <laughs> and there was cassettes and eight tracks, and eventually something else blows it all away. That's so. right. <laughs> it seems to be the generation that we're living in today. Yeah. Build it today, change it, and modify it, and grow it next year. Uh, we had uh, our midterm elections uh, this past uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, can you give us some insight on the uh, impact on U.S. manufacturers? Well, I, uh, we supported NAM through their Get Out the Vote campaign this year, and it really was focusing on this is the year of the manufacturing voter, and 12 million people work in manufacturing, and they certainly can have an impact in elections and have their voices be heard, and, and I think that truly was the case this year. Um, you know, it was, uh, if you look in the Repu Republicans picked up, I believe, five or six governor seats, mm -hmm. right. um, thus the House of Representatives is now has the highest percent of Republicans in seats since post-World War II, and the Senate certainly picked up more seats than they anticipated, even at seven seats, I believe. Right. Um, so I think that manufacturing voters, they were heard. Now, we've been heard today. Uh, that remains to be seen, can, we, can Republicans take advantage of that over the next two years? Um, pers my personal belief is I think it's, and the stock market and history shows the best combination to have is a, a Republican-controlled Senate and House with a Democrat as president. The country has prospered the most in that situation, and, uh, you know, hindsight shows us that. Well, that remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, but in terms of manufacturing voters, really it's not about Republican or Democrat. Really it's about the individual and their support and practice of policies that support manufacturing. Um, and I think those that were elected certainly have that, that strength and that belief that manufacturing is is important to this country in rebuilding our standard of living, um, you know, the multiplier effect that comes from a strong manufacturing uh, really can make this country prosper like no other industry can. So, you know, we're, we're in a good position and poised to, to take advantage of that. It just remains to be seen if we will. The, the unfortunate part about this election was, I believe, the turnout was 33%, which is the lowest since Second World War, after right, right after the Second World War, so uh, the new people that are in Congress uh, picking up all those seats. The question is, are those seats going to be doing anything? Right. It's like uh, winning the batting title and only hitting 265. <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And what uh, what are the plans for FMA over the next year as you start to approach uh, a FabTech in? 2015, what's the FMA going to be working on? So FabTech next year moves back to Chicago, and the odd years we're always in Chicago. Um, in terms of FMA and our emphasis as we go into next year, we update our strategic plan every year with our board of directors to make sure that we're focused on, A, member benefits, uh, what's the value proposition, uh, are we correct in, in developing the things that metal fabricators and job shops need, services we can provide to help them be more competitive. Uh, so that's always a focus of FMA. On the education side, we're continuing to push ahead with 
building out our certification programs, um, you know, precision sheet metal operator, uh, certified press brake operators, uh, coil processing certificates so that we can create an educated workforce. That's one of our strongest missions at FMA. Um, and it goes with the individual, so the individual has that portable credential to make them attractive and uh, more uh, marketable, so to speak, because uh, we want to help the individual and grow the status and importance of people who work in metal fabrication. Uh, so those are a couple of key initiatives. And then the third part is with our charitable foundation, Nuts, Bolts, and Thingamajigs. Uh, we're focused on raising money for students who attend two-year technical and community college programs that are focused on manufacturing-related fields of study, as well as funding summer manufacturing camps for middle school-age kids so that we can start getting kids earlier in the process to think about manufacturing and careers and valuing working with their hands as well as their heads. So instead of making a clay pot for mom, they may make a robot for the kitchen with 3D printing. <laughs> you know, my son is, uh, in, is a freshman in high school, and he uh, has his first CAD class. And they designed chess pieces and made them on the 3D printer in class. And so he brought that home a few weeks back. And uh, it's really fascinating and fun to watch him be engaged with that. And, uh, uh, you know, my father was a tool and die maker. And he could, you know, he built the house that I grew up. He got the plans out of the Sunday paper <laughs> and wow. could do it. And, uh I don't have any of that talent. I can call a guy like you can't believe for whatever needs to be done. Uh, but we need people who are interested in do that. We need to encourage people that you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer, pursue four-year college degree. There's other education paths, and they're important, and they provide family supporting wage jobs, and we want to encourage people to pursue those paths. And they support very good-paying jobs. Uh, when you're in the fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 range, Good-paying jobs for right. uh, for the middle class. Correct. I think that's terrific. Uh, the numbers that we heard uh, yesterday and the day before of your attendance uh, was really quite impressive. And if I'm not mistaken, it's either the first or second largest show that you've had. Can you give us those numbers and perhaps today's number as well? You know, I haven't heard today's number, and you'll have to forgive me. I, you'll have to I, get Pat. I was busy yesterday. I didn't get yesterday's number, but the first day was over 14,000, which was our second best day of attendance, regardless of location for the show. So the attendance has been exceptionally strong. Uh, you know, personal conversations I had with exhibitors is really strong results, good business happening out there. I had a luncheon for our Fab 40 uh, uh, metal fabricators, we, in our magazine, we, we do an issue every year where we invite fabricators to submit their financials, their revenue goal, revenue information, and then we rank them in the magazine by the 40 largest fabricators. So we had a luncheon for those guys. And across the board, they see backlogs into 2015. So we're, we're looking for another strong year next year. Our economist, I know Chris was on with you earlier, mm -hmm. he, he was estimating or per, he's forecasting. Uh, with his magic eight ball, uh, three and a half to four and a half percent growth next year, which is quite optimistic compared to some that we've heard. Now, as I understand Fabtech, if I heard the number correctly from um, one of the folks here that was on our show, is 90 percent booked for next year? Is that right? Um, it's probably closer to 95 percent wow. now. So, yeah, it's 
Um, I, I don't know many trade shows that, that book from year to year that aren't scrambling at the last minute to book out. You guys are way ahead of the curve. Yeah, so that would be, number one, our team, the teams of all the collective groups do a fantastic job. Uh, you know, on our side, led by Mark Cooper and um, Jack, Jackie McBain and, mm-hmm. uh, and our sales team, uh, they're on the front end of the marketing and organizing and structuring. But certainly our partners with SME and PMA and AWS and CCI, they're, they're all doing a great job. We work well together, uh, which is very difficult to do. Uh, you know, everybody sees the outside result. The behind the scenes sometimes gets a little little uh, confusing, but we, we manage to uh, really that team of people do a fantastic job of, A, building an audience, you know, running a facility, um, bringing in the exhibitors, and making that really the critical thing with Fabtech is people coming want to see new equipment. That's the number one reason they come every year because technology is a key to running a profitable fabricating operation. And our teams make sure that we get the best and leaders in technology here for those fabricators to take a look at, demonstrate, and use. I think that uh, Mark Cooper told us yesterday that they had close to 20,000 attendees yesterday, which would have made it your, again, biggest. Oh, that's fantastic. uh, Yeah, yeah. I hope I have the number right. Now, do you have any 3D We can strike that out later in editing. (laughs) Do you have any 3D printers here? You know, we have a demonstration over in the A-Hall. Ah. So if, if you're listening and you're headed over to uh, the Congress World Center here in Atlanta and you want to see a 3D printer, come on by. You'll be able to take a look at some new applications. Uh, the, the exciting thing in 3D printing, uh, sheet metal is certainly a, probably down the line in terms of the uh, adoption of 3D printing mm-hmm. uh, because there's, you know, flat sheet kind of hard to 3D print something on that. Uh, but really, the where you'll start to see the advances in 3D printing is when the bed size expands with the right. 3D printer so that you can uh, 3D print larger and larger parts. So, you know, as advances are made on that side, I think that's the key where you'll see more adoption uh, as we go forward. I think you're right. I know that the uh, Air Force is saying that they can't get plain parts fast enough. And so I envision a day in the not-too-distant future when they can 3D print entire canopies in just one pass and right. just start chucking them out. It's amazing what can be done with the technology. Yeah. GD, or GE is using 3D printing to make uh, the fan blades in turbines uh, for their jet engines, and they use powdered metal to make that mm-hmm. process happen. Wow. There's another big advancement. About 40 years ago, I was in that uh, business selling uh, forged rectangular shapes for them to machine out the blades and veins one at a time. <laughs> and then there was a, an inventor who invented the um, uh, prototyping method uh, of, of scanning and being able to make six or eight or ten at a time. Uh, we've come a long way from that. Yeah. And, uh uh, I'm not that familiar with the 3D printing yet. It's something we're going to wind up getting into. I don't know what kind of volume it can turn out. Um, do you have any insight on that? You know, uh, again, it's it's so experimental, mm. you know, in, in the metals industry. Uh, you know, in the plastics industry, yeah. 
it's that's where you'll see the biggest advances first because the material is already right. uh, um, easier to use. Um, but eventually it'll come. It just will. Yeah. The evolution right. effect. Well, I'm I'm wondering if you saw anything here at the show, Ed, that kind of dazzled you. We saw a uh, those yellow coats that you guys have on. If our <laughs> listeners could see those, those would dazzle you. Uh, we watched a, a, a company that has programmable magnets. Yesterday, we had them on our show, and that was a fascinating piece of technology. Have you seen anything around the floor that you went, wow, that's So cool. you can imagine in my position that all the exhibitors are my children, and I love them all equally. So to call one technology out over another is probably not the smartest thing for me to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the, the laser cutting technology is just continues to be amazing. The speed and the precision that... Uh, continues to happen with that. Mm -hmm. it, you know, that's really why you know, one of the key pieces of equipment people come to see. Um, on the welding side, the virtual welding products that they have, where you can go and really try to train and use a welder oh, without having to that. do the the device. That's really cool stuff. And uh, you know, to be able to train people without use of materials and really get them some experience before they get their first piece of metal and try to weld it together it's a pretty neat way to approach that process now your educational components are any of those uh, programs or courses available online so fma uh, we have courses where we make available online but all of the uh, the training here is done in a classroom so we uh we've have over nearly 600 people participating in the education program this week and uh, th those 600 people are taking over 1,500 sessions throughout wow. the week, so about three-to-one ratio. Uh, our lean process, our management tracks tend to be our most popular programs. And, and lean's been around for a very long time, but right. it continues to draw large audiences because uh, – yeah, this is one of the things I think about when I think about advanced manufacturing. Because most people think of advanced manufacturing as, as advanced technology. But really, smart people improving processes without buying a piece of equipment just by re-looking at the process and saving time, increasing throughput, uh, there's a real elegance in that. And many times that's overlooked uh, because it is advanced manufacturing. If you can improve the margin on something... That's great stuff. It's what all of our manufacturers are trying to do out there. Sure, sure. Now, I think for the first time in a, in a long time, we've had a lot of people speaking on the show about, you know, uh, high schools not having shop classes anymore. And, Lou, you ran across something today where that's coming back? It was, uh, I think it was USA Today that uh, was talking about uh, there are sectors of the country that are looking to bring back the old-fashioned machine shop in the, in the high school. Uh, it's an expensive process to do, but I think that there's enough noise being made now in, in this country about manufacturing and the reshoring and nearshoring and uh, the offshoring diminishing and so on that where do they start to do the training? And it's, it's really got to be at a younger age. You can't do it at 25 and hope to have uh, somebody be successful at the age of uh, 30. Right. I mean, so, you're doing it at middle school level. 
sure you can't start soon enough really trying to make have that influence on young people to want to pursue careers and making stuff uh I, I can't think of another time when it's been in our, our country's best interest to have a strong manufacturing and vibrant manufacturing economy. From a national security interest, to have that ability as a country is incredibly important in the very unstable geopolitical environment that exists today. I think part of the success of what's happening with industries, uh, uh, people turning to manufacturing, is the fact that it's no longer being viewed, or the story is that it's no longer being viewed as uh, chips on the floor and grease under the fingernails. Um, we've seen some incredible uh, equipment here and technology. We had a gentleman here uh, yesterday who created a software program that interacts with a manufacturing machine uh, that improves the efficiency of the machine which therefore improves the efficiency of uh, productivity, profitability, and so on and so forth. And the software can be hooked up to a machine that was made 40 years ago or last week. So there is some really interesting uh, technology developing on top of the interesting right. de uh, technology. So. If I could follow on, you know, you asked me earlier about our initiatives for this year, and I left out one of our most important, which is to we're a co-founding partner of Manufacturing Day. So, oh, yes. Uh, uh, for our listeners who maybe haven't heard, Manufacturing Day is where we invite manufacturers to open their doors to their communities, schools, students, legislators, to get them inside so we can show what modern manufacturing is and what it isn't, uh, you know, reference to your greasy fingernail hmm. things. There's some of that that exists because some processes that's necessary. But that's not the case as it was in the 1970s, and that's probably always the perception that most people are left with. So uh, it's been a very successful program. Uh, started three years ago with 240 events. This past year it had six, 1,690 events. Uh, we were uh, fortunate enough that the president uh, proclaimed October 3rd is National Manufacturing Day in support of Manufacturing Day. So we've got a great bit of momentum and traction to really just try to improve the image and the respect for the people who work in manufacturing. Aside from the fact that you had almost 1,700 events, uh, the number of people that were involved that were invited into these events was close to 100,000? Yeah, it's, it's well in excess of 100,000. Our post-event survey went out with a 28% response rate. We were over, we were 115,000 estimated attendance. So that's terrific. It, it's you know really just um, again we have great partners, uh, the National Association of Manufacturers, the Manufacturing Institute, and NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, their Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program. Uh, Industrial Strength Marketing has been a great partner for us, and even the Discovery Network is one of our key media partners. Well, we are also uh, happy to have worked with you uh, on October 2, uh, the day before the event, to help get the word out. We certainly are planning to participate with you uh, going into the future. Uh, I think it's uh, really a great, great effort and a, a very successful in a very short period of time. Uh, and you even got the government to work, get involved with it. <laughs> 
Yeah, so we were fortunate enough that uh, the president came out to an FMA and NAM members location on Manufacturing Day to participate in uh, their open house, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be there for it. It was a very exciting event, and uh, we're, we're very proud of the work that our groups have done collectively. Before we uh, wrap it up here, I'd like to I'd like you to give our listeners your uh, website address to get more information about many of your programs, as well as the website address for Manufacturing Day. So, if you could. So, uh, the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association's website, very simple: www.fmanet.org. And Manufacturing Day, even simpler, mfgday.com. It's uh, terrific. Thank you. I know that you've uh, shared a lot with us. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience about any subject having to do with either Vabtech or FMA before we uh, break for a commercial? Um, you know, not whether it's about FMA or Fabtech. I think it's uh, maybe talk to your kids a little bit more about manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to them about the value of what it means to their family and their community and uh Maybe just invite them to check out manufacturing, any kind of manufacturing, to uh, understand its value and what it can mean for them in the future. We have virtually anything, any toy they ever touched or played with was manufactured somewhere. That's right. It's fascinating. When you actually get into a plant and watch things being produced and moving by, it's an an amazing place to to watch and work. Yes, absolutely. And I'm part of the... You had me a hello, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate all the time you shared with us in October again at the show, and we look forward to having you on in the future. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. And we'll take a quick commercial break and be back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group manufactures open-die forgings in blocks, hubs, shafts, flanges, cylinders, gear blanks, and custom forge shapes, including seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, nickel alloys, copper and titanium for parts and assemblies in aerospace, oil and gas exploration, defense, machinery, transportation, shipbuilding, energy and power, pulp and paper, and many other industries. Visit steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. We're back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have been joined by Peter Hochland. Peter is president of Trump. And Peter, I'm going to have you explain to our audience, even though it's probably a broad subject, what, who Trump is and what they do. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for, for having me here. It's, it's my, my pleasure. Um, Trump is a German family-owned business, um, active in three business fields, 
the largest is in the sheet metal um, production machinery. Um, okay. So we make uh, laser machines, punching machines, bending machines. The second business field is uh, industrial lasers, and we're the largest industrial laser manufacturer uh, in the world where we use the lasers obviously in our own machines, but also for various applications uh, for uh, materials processing. So for, for welding um, and also surface structuring, um, heat treating, a wide range of, of uh, applications. And the third is electronics, where we make power supplies um, for uh, uh, plasma uh, generation, induction heating um, uh, applications. Now, when you're talking about your uh, sheet metal machines, uh, um, any of those water jets? No, no, we don't have water jet. Okay. We only have um, a laser punching and, and, and press brakes. Okay. Uh, it's fascinating to watch some of these machines operate and, and what they can form out of a, a, a flat piece of sheet metal that's really coming off a roll, is it not? Um, we mostly work from sheets. Oh, from, okay, from just flat sheet? Cut sheet, yeah, flat sheet. Okay, okay, great. Uh, Peter, in our pre-show uh, discussions, one of the topics that we talked about was the theme of Trump. So could you give us the, uh, the story of the, your theme? <laughs> and I, I found it quite interesting. Uh, if you can go into yeah. detail for our listeners. Yes, yes, I'd be happy. Um, the theme for, for the show this year was the power to perform. Uh, and that's a, a little play on words, of course, the power, because we are showing uh, the highest laser power uh, mm -hmm. on, a, on a machine uh, here at the show. It's an 8 kilowatt uh, disc laser, uh, which is setting new performance standards for uh, productivity in, in laser cutting. Um, but what we really mean is giving our customers the means to compete. Uh, the means through our technology and, and our equipment, but also through our services and, and support that we offer our, our customers. So we're giving our customers the power to perform. For those uh, listeners who are not familiar with a, a laser cutter working on a, on a piece of flat sheet metal, can you give them some idea of, and I know it's very broad and vast, the kinds of things a laser cutter can cut out of a piece of sheet metal, and it's quite amazing. Well, um, you know, long ago, people had shears where you could just cut mm -hmm. straight straight edges, mm -hmm. um, and uh, from shears there came uh, punching machines. And and actually, in the 60s, uh, Trump was a pioneer in developing the punching technology with uh, nibbling machines, uh, copy nibble uh, machines, uh, which enabled you to punch out shapes um, from from sheets. Right. Um, but this, this punching process, while it's still um, competitive for, for some parts, does require tooling, um, mm -hmm. uh, punching tools. And with uh, using light as the medium to cut the, the metal, uh, we don't need any tools. So it's very flexible. We can cut any, any kind of contours from very small, fine contours to... Um, long cuts um, very quickly and, and efficiently. 
Okay, and we wanted to bring over a, a business card for our sponsor, All Metals and Forge Group, and see if one of your guys could program it in and pop it out of a piece of metal. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly can. Yeah. It's amazing when you watch a laser cutter work. Whatever you program into the machine, the laser cutter cuts. So that's really a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, this is good old precision German technology, which is known worldwide, really. Yes, uh, you know we have um, high accuracies. Uh, we we uh, 0.1 um, uh, millimeter accuracy on on the, our, our our cuts, and we make some some small uh, parts that uh, you know can even um, put on your on your fingernail. Uh, li- little bicycles uh, that uh, you really have to be very careful to to be able to see. You know, I heard someone mention that the other day. Uh, they were watching your machine operate, and they said, you can't believe they've got this this huge machine, and it can create the tiniest part I've ever seen with incredible precision. Well, uh, very new, and we're showing it on the 8-kilowatt uh, machine, is, is new piercing technology. So the first time you, you pierce through the, the metal, there's a lot of... Um, uh, know-how in, in how to do that. You pulse the laser beam to be able to go through the metal without having a lot of excess metal uh, splatter um, out on the on the parts and having a big ugly hole. Um, and we've perfected the, uh, the piercing so that we can actually pierce and cut tiny contours. Uh, it looks like a hole, but when you look very closely, it's a little square or it's a triangle or it's a, a, it's a rectangle when you hold it up to the light. Um, extremely fine control um, of, of the laser beam and, and um, how we cut. Are, are any of your parts going into the aerospace industry? Um, one of our strengths is that we serve all, all industries. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we're very broadly set up. Uh, we're not dependent on any one one industry, yeah. uh, any place that has has metal, sheet metal, um, we're we're involved in. Aerospace um, has some applications, but most of the aluminum and the fuselage, the structural components, uh, the laser processing has not been qualified um, because of uh, heat. Uh, being introduced into the parts, uh, there were some some concerns, and they have very long uh, approval processes for for new production techniques. When you are uh, using the laser to cut the to cut the material or shapes or what have you, you mentioned about the about the heat. Does that build up stresses in the material? And if so, can it be heat treated out in in an annealing process? Most of our customers don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the in the cutting process, the heat affected zone is is quite small, mm-hmm. and for most applications, that 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 doesn't matter. Uh, we have different gases that we can cut with. Um, we can cut with oxygen, but we can also cut with nitrogen, so that we have uh, less oxide or no oxide layers, uh, right. which affects then uh, surface treatment following the the cutting process. Um, and with the new fiber laser uh, uh, technologies, the uh, solid-state lasers have a, a different wavelength, and the beam can be focused 
more finely, and it has even smaller heat-affected uh, zone. Um, so there's less less heat being introduced. So it's a less of an issue. Yes, it it is more of an issue with laser welding, um, and that's one mm. of the big benefits of laser welding versus conventional welding, is that we put a lot less heat into the parts, which causes less distortion. Right. Now you have laser machines, and then you said you had forming machines. Um, no, uh, well the uh, lasers. Right. Cells that, that that we sell, and we have punching machines. Punching machines. Yes. Okay. And the punching machines can uh, cut flat sheets, mm -hmm. but uh, more and more, uh, the benefit is forming operations. Um, that can be done on punching machines, uh, but not not done on laser machines. Now, how does a punching machine do a forming operation? Well, we can do uh, tapping. Uh, we can use different tools mm -hmm. because it has has uh, tools. We can use a, a tapping tool to to uh, tap holes. So after we've punched a hole, we can we can tap it. Uh, right. We we can um, put louvers in in parts. Um, we can make small bends. We can um, have with a rolling tool um, have indentation strengthening ribs in in sheets. We can roll them in. Um, so it's um, a, a number of, of applications. Uh, hinges. We have a hinge tool that we can put a hinge ah, right. uh, on, a, on a part. Now, do any of your customers have both of those in place where one feeds another? Where the laser, they cut it out of the sheet with the laser, then it goes into the next? Well, we actually have a, a combination machines. Oh, okay. Which have, have a punch head and a laser on one, one machine, wow. uh, and that's very advanced processing, um, where we finish a part on the, on the machine um, and use the most effective technology. And so for a complex, uh, curved out, outer contour that's better cut with a laser, uh, if it has a lot of holes and any forming, uh, that's done on the punching side. Now, Peter, what kind of companies use your equipment? To, and to make what parts is what I, where the, I'm really going. Yeah, the, the largest segment of our uh, customers are job shops, so contract manufacturers for okay. uh, other, other firms, um, and they'll get drawings from their, their customers and, and then produce these, these parts. Um, we also have a lot of customers that we call product shops. They have their own products that they're making with our, um, with our machines, and they're in all industries from furniture to appliances to construction to agriculture, um, automotive, um, just a, a wide range. So we'd have to probably tear something apart to find the part that was made with one of your machines. <laughs> it's it's, it's well, not visible to the consumer's eye. Um, in everyday life, uh, they're, they're all over. In, in your kitchen, uh, there's a lot of uh, steel parts, uh, stainless steel parts, right. and, 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 and um, in stoves or ovens, um, um, fireplaces, the, all the steel in the fireplace inserts uh, are, are done on our machines. Your grill outside uh, has so stainless steel, carbon steel, aluminum, uh, right? Many many different applications. How did you get involved? With with the company, it's just are you are you part of the family and you just kind of got drawn <laughs> into it? No, I, I wish I was part of the family. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, it's 
it's a very um, unique company uh, because it is uh, family run and the family has a, a strong influence on the company. They're very active in the, in the management. Uh, so they do take a, a long-term view. Um, they're reinvesting the profits in the business and, and their objective is to grow the business long-term. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not focused on any kind of quarterly uh, results, but doing what's right for the business long-term. And that's a very refreshing uh, uh, focus. Um, I've worked for some large American companies um, and we are a little bit more short-term uh, oriented and, and at, at Trump, uh, we really have the, the long-term interests at, at, at heart. So that's what you're hearing in our latest uh, elections. Part of that conversation is manufacturers like to plan ahead. And so far what they've been unable to do is plan much of anything on tax issues, on uh, investment issues, on where's the economy going, what are you guys doing in Washington? Uh, very tough. It, it is, and um, it seems right after we finish one election cycle, people are looking to, oh. the, to the next one. and so uh, true. The next day. Every, every two years, and, and then posturing for the next elections, yeah. how do you get something done? I don't know how we do. How is it working in Germany? Germany has had a very strong economy for a long number of years. Um, yeah, Germany has a very, very, very different, uh, different system. I think there's um, not the divisiveness that we see now in, in American politics. Um, we have it, divisiveness. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's hard to have a, a rational discussion anymore and find common ground. Um, and, and, and maybe Germany doesn't have. Um, quite the, the emotion and the, and the differences. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I spent the last seven years in China, and, and that was uh, a very interesting uh, experience. And, and that's where you see um, you know, the, the Chinese government and, and the lack of elections right. have some benefits <laughs> in that. Uh, you don't have this this, uh, this this dialogue. Now, are you uh, do you speak Mandarin? Because we don't. No, no. <laughs> unfortunately, I was I was busy, kept busy with uh, with business matters. But uh, it was an exciting time to be there and, and to observe the changes going on. Wow. Uh, you and I had spoken uh, a week ago or so, and one of the uh, bullet points that we were discussing was about reshoring and uh, what's going on here in uh, the United States in regards to that. Uh, how is reshoring uh, affecting Trump in terms of your sales volume, your revenues, your projections, your plans, and so on? Yes, well, for the last couple of years, or really since the, the, the big crisis uh, in 08, um, mm -hmm. we've seen the, our, our the market in, in North America really rebound, um, and, it's, and it's revitalizing the, the manufacturing uh, sector. Um, having been in, in, in China, I saw a lot of production that once went to, went to China, and now I think there's a more differentiated view on what makes sense to be produced overseas and what makes sense to be produced uh, here at home. Mm -hmm. um, for a while there, there was a, just a mass exodus uh, without the proper evaluation of does it really make sense. It was a fad. 
and now I think it's it's being looked at more more realistically, more objectively. And as some of the the production is coming back, it's coming back in a new way. Um, they're manufacturing differently than they used to, and differently than it was uh, when it was overseas. Um, mm. They're adapting to the strengths that we have here in the U.S. Um, and also the challenges that we have to address. Uh, so we have high labor costs, but there are ways to deal with those. You have to use uh, a different equipment, different processes uh, to be more productive, um, use the high skills that we have, the good infrastructure that we have, um, and use less of, of, um, of labor and manual input. Peter, do you see manufacturing going in a direction where mass production of a, for instance, a finished consumer good uh, becomes less common and more custom production for consumers comes into the picture? I mean, this, this catchphrase, uh, mass customization, I think is, is certainly a, uh, a trend. Um, and it's something that's, uh, that our machines and, and equipment are, is very much geared toward. Um, really? we, we're not in the very high volume uh, um, same part, hundreds of thousands of pieces. Right. Okay. Um, those are done more on on presses. You know, uh, our strength is in the short run, high flexibility um, uh, environment. Okay, is that being driven by a consumer desire to have their own unique whatever? We we are seeing more more choice. And as basic necessities are, have, have been taken care of, people want uh, to feel uh, unique and, and have uh, special uh, requirements and, and, and want those met. Uh, they're becoming choosier consumers, um, which is driving more more variety. It's fascinating that, that your machines, I, I would have thought that your machines were set up for mass production, and clearly they're not. So I'd love to. I have to get by your booth and just watch the operation. It's amazing <laughs> what they can do. Yeah, I can. I can watch them all day. <laughs> I, I imagine so. Now, and, and you, when you say that, I know that there's also uh, the, you know, the gears turning in your head of what we can tweak on that machine just a bit to make it do something better, faster, different. Imagine your engineers go through that all day long as well. Well, and that's that's another. Uh, Part of, of Trump that that is very exciting to to me is the high emphasis on innovation. Um, we invest nine percent of R and D each year, nine uh, percent of sales in R and D, uh, and the result is many new machines every every year. Um, and on the show today, we're we're showing six new machines. Um, wow. Uh, that are setting new standards in, in performance or flexibility. Um, 9% seems high. I, and, and the only reason I say that is it seems to me that across the country I had heard that, you know, somewhere between 3 and 6%, unless it was a specialized industry, is reinvested in R&D. Is 9% above, well above the norm? 9% is, is about double the, the norm in, in our industry. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's so, quite a commitment. Yes. Pretty progressive. And, 
And with the with the size of, of Trump, we last year we had 3.5 billion dollars in sales. Um, that is a sizable R&D budget. It's well over 300 million dollars a year that we're investing in R&D, um, and and many new exciting things are coming out of that. That's incredible. That's a lot of money going into R&D. Now you're you're located here in the United States and in Germany as well. Is that yes. correct? Yes. See, so of the two. Well, we actually have 50 locations around the world, ah. um, sales and and serv- sales service and production uh, mm-hmm. facilities. Most production uh, is in in Europe, in various plants in Germany, in France, in Switzerland, in Austria, in the Czech Republic, and and in Poland. Um, we have a, a large manufacturing facility in Connecticut here. Mm-hmm. Since the late 70s, right. and uh, about uh, seven years ago, opened a facility in, in in China. So you're manufacturing the machines in China? Uh, we're assembling the machines in China. Ah, okay. Yeah. okay. But only for uh, the local market. Ah. Our our machines don't have much labor um, in them. They have many high-tech components doesn't make sense for us to export from from China. So we're in China for the local market. We're in America uh, also for the for the local market. And is that true with with other facilities around the country? They're really there for the local market. Um, for the most part, in North America, we're more established. We have our own R and D, so we're developing our own machines. And um, the machine that that we're making in North America is only being made here, and we're also exporting that. Um, to other markets around the world. Is there anything that, and you might not be able to answer the question or want to answer it, is there anything cool coming out of Trump? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like well, somebody wants to see the 2016 model car that uh, Ford's going to produce. Uh, yes, there's there's many, many interesting things when I walk in, in the R&D uh, uh, testing areas. Um, there's uh, so many neat neat things. No, unfortunately, we we can't talk about them. Um, but you know, um, watch watch Trump, and uh, every year we'll be bringing out new new things. And are you planning on being at uh, FabTech in Chicago uh, in 2015? Definitely, definitely. That's great. Sign the contract. They're booking fast. <laughs> yeah, right. I understand. Ninety percent of the space is sold. Uh, Peter, anything else that you would like to share with our listeners uh, in the last couple of minutes here of the show about Trump, where it's going, what it's doing? Um, well, another trend we, we hadn't talked too much about is, is automation. And we okay. really see a, a trend toward, toward automation, um, toward linking individual machines together um, in, in, in overall processes. Um, that gives more more efficiencies, mm-hmm. uh, more more productivity, and uh, we're we're supporting this this trend, and, and we see a lot of development in that area. And do you see a lot of development in that area in the industry at large? Uh, yes, yes. I, okay. I think it's a broader trend. Uh, and is that taking uh, some of the here we call you know blue collar labor out? And you're having more white collar label labor in that you know, run the iPad that's hooked up to the machine. Yes, yeah. We, we one needs more programming, more maintenance uh, work, and less 
uh, simple, simple logistical tasks. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, well, that the, the old adage holds: uh, you know, you have to go to school, and and we have to keep qualifying our our workforce, upgrading our wor- our workforce. Is Trump challenged with the same issue that everyone else seems to be trying to find skilled labor in that 18 to 32 year old pool? Yes, that that is a challenge for uh, for us. Um, we're we've been quite successful in in Germany and and in in America because of our positioning in the market, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the high investment in, in new products that. Dynamism in the in the company, so that's attractive for for young, oh, young for people. R and D, it would be yes. Do Do you have your own uh, in-house training programs for new employees, or are you looking for already skilled, seasoned uh, uh, workers? We We look for a mix. Um, we have opportunities in, on on different levels, but we do have uh, rigorous uh, training programs mm-hmm. where young people come in and, and go through a few months of, of training um, mm-hmm. before we uh, put them in, in, in the final position. Well, I don't know if you're aware of Manufacturing Day uh, this past October. Uh, was uh, Trump involved in that at yes. all? Good. Yes, yes. Good. We, we are very supportive of, of that. And we had a couple of hundred uh, high school uh, kids come through we opened our doors and uh, gave them a taste of what we do, how cool manufacturing can be. Uh, how were you able to determine by the enthusiasm of the participants as to were they excited about it? Was it oh hum, uh, or was there actually uh, enthusiasm? Well, with teenagers, sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> we, we hope we we planted some seeds. Uh-huh. Uh, it broke down some some walls and barriers, misconceptions that right. that they may have had. Yeah. Uh, so when they get get serious about thinking what they really want to do, that they'll they'll consider it. Well, at least there's a memory peg that they did come to your plant and they they saw that it was uh, not an oily, greasy uh, uh, metal chips on the floor environment. Exactly. Uh, very good. Well, Peter, we certainly thank you being on uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. We, we've really enjoyed the conversation about all the uniqueness that your machines produce. We look forward to maybe getting a catch-up with you next year in Chicago. Uh, and I maybe, would look forward to that. Yeah. Maybe we can pull a little more information about the latest and greatest out of it. <laughs> good. <laughs> thank you very much, Peter, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And, and that wraps us up, ladies and gentlemen, for Manufacturing for, for Manufacturing Talk Radio at the FabTech, uh, we look forward to broadcasting from FabTech in Chicago uh, next year, and, and we will be back on the air with you next Tuesday uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.